Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host of the Found Down podcast. So today's episode is with Emily Scott. She is a labor and delivery nurse. She's also a science communicator combating misinformation on the internet with her Two Dusty Travelers um, account. Uh, she's uh, Also, she did work during Ebola as a disaster, as disaster response um, there. So we've got a lot to talk about in this episode, and we do kind of go all over the place, but I'm really excited for you to hear it. Before we get into it, I just want to say thank you so much for everybody who listens week after week. Found out wouldn't be here if you weren't here, so I truly appreciate you showing up. Thank you for reaching out and giving me feedback and uh, leaving me emails and finding me on social media. I truly appreciate it. If you want to support Found Down, you can do so by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to it on. So just whatever honest review you have, love to hear it. Um, it does help the podcast go up the ranks. And I just wanted to let you know for transparency, I'm going to be uh, out of the country with um, my Unwound Retreats group going to Morocco. So I'm not 100% that I'll be able to do an episode in the next two weeks. I'm going to try. But so if you don't hear from me by then, just know I'll, I'll have something up as soon as I get back. But um, yeah, that's something super exciting that's going on. And I'm um, just, you know, send us good vibes uh, we will all be vaccinated. We all are vaccinated and we'll be tested and we'll be safe. Um, but we're going to have a good time over in Morocco where things are a lot chiller than they are in the United States. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to take a minute to talk about our amazing sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and educator. You know, I talk about her a lot on this show. Obviously she's a sponsor, but I do totally believe in her work. She spends a lot of time creating high quality content and education for nurses. I took the cardiac boot camp um, course a while back. I learned a lot, you know. I just re-upped on my knowledge and, um, you know, gets got some CEs and, you know, she's got really great courses out there. You're gonna want to check it out over at NicoleCupchickConsulting.com, and you can use the coupon code FoundDown20 at checkout to get twenty percent off. Again, you can get all kinds of great products, uh, courses, and books and over at NicoleCupchickConsulting.com. Use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 at checkout to get 20% off. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode with Emily Scott. 
Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Foundown Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I am so stoked because I'm talking to Emily Scott. She's a labor and delivery nurse. She also is a travel blogger and has a travel business. She's one half of the two Dusty Travelers, and she is a science communicator, so she helps combat misinformation on the interwebs uh, and social media, which is amazing. And she also... (laughs) <laughs> worked during Ebola, during the Ebola outbreak. So we have a lot that we could talk about today. I brought her on the show mostly to talk about her, like what it's like as an L&D nurse, but you know, we'll just see where the date, the conversation takes us. Um, but before I do anything, how are you, Emily? I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, we'll be honest here because this is a nursing podcast. Right. Like I'm struggling, dude, like this wave extra sucks because it's preventable. So like, and like you mentioned, like I, I, you know, I'm doing science communication on social media. So I feel like I have like a window into like the worst of humanity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cause I'm just like constantly just, just like this endless whack-a-mole of like debunking conspiracy theories. And um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this question when I thought you were going to ask it and I'm like, Oh God, how am I? I was like talking to my, therapist because of course I think we're all in therapy right now about Mm -hmm. like this idea of like that I was hearing on another podcast of complex PTSD being like (laughs) this change in in the way you see the world or you see yourself and I'm like COVID that does with COVID I like thought people were kind of good and now I'm like no everything's (laughs) off yeah that's I I really I don't know for the people out there who really understand like Emily works full-time and she spends a ton of time. You spend a ton of time, like what you put out on social media, there, there's a lot of thought and a lot of work that goes into what you're doing for free, for free. Like, and she's doing it for the good of humanity. And obviously you're seeing the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think some people don't, maybe realize that or they think that like because I have this following on Instagram that it's somehow like is profitable for me or that obviously people accuse me of being a you know big pharma shill all the time I'm like I'm not making any money off of this I actually it's actually really disheartening and exhausting like I'm just doing it because I I just want people to not die that's legit that's it and I also would like my life back. I'd like to be able to travel again and like, oh, I'm like, you know, that's it. That's my only motivation. I just want, <laughs> I want to get on a plane. I want to not, I want people to not die. That's it. So yeah. <laughs> Seems like incredibly valid reasons to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. As a equal, I love travel as much as you do, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, I, I feel you. But yeah. um, anyway, I appreciate the work that you are doing to try to um, combat misinformation. Has there ever been a time when anyone said like, I got vaccinated because of you? 
Yeah. And I think this is, I mean, I get so many of those messages. Really? And I, I screenshot them. I have like a folder on my phone and I'm like, I read when shit is bad. And I'm like, you're helping. Don't quit. You know, but it's, you know, it's just like anything. It's just the, the mean messages just stick with you so much longer and deeper than all of the hundreds of, of nice ones. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it's just that you focus on, I I do anyway, focus on like, are oh, those couple of people that are clearly just hate following me? <laughs> you know? I know. Why <laughs> follow just you? Follow. Just unfollow. Yeah. Just, un- just click alone. that button. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So let's get into nursing for a minute. Um, how did you become an L&D nurse? What was your route there? Yeah, it's kind of um, meandering. I My first degree actually is in peace studies and I always hold up my peace fingers because people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, peace studies. So yeah, I just always kind of been like a save the world type. And so I that was my major in college. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And I um, was volunteering in, sorry, my that's okay. Big dinging sound. I was volunteering in Kenya um, after I graduated, like at an orphanage, like a thing I, I would never do now. I have like, this is a whole other topic, but I have a lot of like strong opinions on oh. um, tourism and all the harm that like um, um, volunteers do in developing countries. And, but so I, th- I was doing this after I graduated thinking I was like, I was just being an absolute white savior, you know? Yeah. Right. I'm saving um, the world. Taking, taking pictures with holding brown babies that you're putting them on the internet and like, you know, the whole deal. Um, but, but that experience is I met uh, some nurses who were there doing a medical mission. And I was like, this is amazing because I'm here as this like I just graduated from college and I have no I, peace studies was a great foundation. I learned so much. It made me who I am, but I don't have any like useful skills. Um, and I was like, I, I want to go to nursing school and actually be able to make a difference hands-on like immediately with people in people's lives. Um, so yeah, I went to nursing school um, and graduated in 2010 and spent two years on like med surge progressive care unit, which I hated, but <laughs> You know, it's good experience. Yeah. Um, and then really want, did the whole thing because I wanted to get into like doing global health and um, I don't really like the term medical missions, but that's what everybody uses. Is that, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, after progressive care, um, my husband and I actually moved to Tanzania for about six months and volunteered kind of until the money ran out. And I worked at a, a birth center. He worked at a school. Um and then came home and that was kind of my foot in the door to working in labor and delivery in the States. As I had, I really, even since nursing school, I knew I was like, this, this, I want to be an LD like this. It's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's another interesting aspect to like volunteering abroad, that it was, it was easy as anything for me to just like fly on over to Tanzania and work in a birth center, despite having um, no experience in that arena. Um, and then when I wanted to come home and work in L and D, everyone, you know, all the managers thought it was so cool that I had like worked in developing country and like delivery and that like, you know, so it, yeah, it's kind of yeah. sticky, but stuff kind of gets used, um, to benefit, um, the volunteer in ways that I didn't intend, but then have since thought about later. I was like, Oh, I don't know if that was really okay to do. Um, anyway, I'm off on a tangent, but so I've been in L&D for like eight years now and I still, I, now I work per diem. So 
I have the freedom to kind of go do um, global health work and disaster response, um, but I still work pretty much full-time. My unit is busy enough that I can work a lot as a per diem employee. Um, yeah, so that's how I ended up working on the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. And I was like um, in Nepal after the earthquake and I've been like in Haiti training um, birth workers. Um, I've been kind of all over, it's been really awesome. And that's how, again, our hospital has a biocontainment team um, that we put together for Ebola, though of course we never got an Ebola patient, um, that ended up getting activated for COVID because we had the first COVID patient in the States. And I ended up on that team caring for that patient. And that was how this all snowballed into like posting about COVID on wow. social media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I know. I wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> no, it's great though. It's like, um, it's super inspiring to me just hearing about all, all of what you've done and what you do. And so that kind of stuff is available to us as humans. Like it's, it's Absolutely. so cool. Like we can have interesting, rich lives, you know? Oh my gosh. And as nurses, there's so many different options. If you don't like what you're doing, do something else. You, you know, there's so many choices. So the, oh my gosh, before we get into L and D, how, how did you actually what was the disaster response in Ebola? Like, how did you get there? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, like, we've talked for so long about this. I have so many opinions about like volunteering and, and paid global health work, but um, I knew I wanted to get into doing disaster response, but it's just like any kind of job. They, they don't want to hire most really legit organizations doing this work. Don't want to hire you unless you have disaster response ex experience but how do you get that? So you kind of have to just throw yourself in with organizations that are like less legit. And I've been on some stuff and I'm like, this is not okay. Like we're here for a photo op, we're not helping anyone. This is bad because you have to put it on your resume so that then you can apply to the better organizations. Right. The whole, the whole industry is a mess. But, um, but by the time I, by the time Ebola rolled around, I'd had, um, not necessarily disaster response, but a lot of experience working in global health and doing medical missions, things like that. Um, and they were just so desperate for bodies, like trained bodies, anybody um, that, you know, I, I heard it on NPR. They were like, literally, they just, all of the um, healthcare workers in West Africa were just like dropping like flies because um, they literally didn't have gloves. So how, I mean, obviously everyone's gonna catch Ebola and die. Um, so yeah, I just apl I applied with um, Partners in Health and with International Medical Corps and Partners in Health got back to me first. So I ended up going to Sierra Leone with Partners in Health. Yeah. Wow. I, <laughs> I like want to go. I wish I could see what you saw or like experience what you experienced because I mean, just hearing you say like, oh, well, all these healthcare workers were just dropping dead and dying. Oh, they were just dropping dead and dying, you know, and then you went over there to so did you feel safe? Yeah. And interestingly, I felt much safer there. And I've said this a lot and I get in trouble at work for saying this. Like my managers are like, stop saying this, but it's true. I felt, I've been, I've been, I've been pulled into the office and they're like, stop saying this. I'm like, well, mm. it's true. Um, I felt safer in Sierra Leone treating Ebola patients than I did at the, at least at the beginning of COVID here, because 
we got this very, very thorough training in donning and doffing PPE. It's not a joke, especially with Ebola. Like, cause if you catch it, you're probably going to die, you know? Right. So, I mean, at least in, in a developing country, if they can get you back to the States, then you're probably going to be fine. But, um, so I mean, we, we were not, we were very thoroughly trained. We were not allowed to step foot into the red zone without like full all the PPE you needed. Someone checks you before you go in to make sure everything's right. You doff with a partner. It takes like 30 minutes to get out of your full suit uh, without contaminating yourself. It's like a partner watches you the whole way through. It's a bit, you know, and so meanwhile, like it was interestingly, our first COVID patient in the States with our biocontainment team was like that. It was only one patient. We didn't know there was community spread yet. Um, so we were like doing that full PPE, everything we needed, doffing with a partner, like very safe. And then it, it immediately, as soon as we had an influx, influx of patients in the hospital, it just fell apart. And I, I was training the ICU and med surge nurses in how to don and doff. And it was like, I would train one group and then the next group would come in and I'd have a different set of guidelines. And they'd be like, oh, now they don't need to wear an N95 anymore. I'm like, did, did, the WHO, did the WHO change their guidelines in the last 30 minutes or did we just run out? You know, and they tried it and they're like, oh no, it's just not necessary. I'm like, oh no, this is a supply thing. So don't try to tell me you don't need yeah. an N95 because you need an N95, you know? So yeah, I, I, I definitely felt, I, I trusted all you can do with Ebola is like, trust your PPE. And I trusted my PPE and I trusted my training. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I, and, I, and you know, I just felt like it was just, su- there was just such a need. And I had that moment where I was like, this is scary as fuck, but if I don't go, I'm always going to know, like they yeah. really, really need help. And I chose not to, cause I was scared and like, I'm like, I can do this. I can do it. Well, that, I think, you know what, I think I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back on to the show just to talk about that experience because literally we could probably talk to about it for like an hour. It's like my favorite thing to talk about. I'm obsessed with people. (laughs) Okay. That's so great. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love it. Like I was like so excited when I got confirmed to go and my husband was like, you're strange. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Podcast (laughs) listeners. Um, We'll do, we'll do another show all about a bullet because like, I, that's just anyway. So that's so badass. I do believe that. Um, I want to say one thing. Um, I completely understand at least that I I had, I had these feelings that like, I I would rather be on the COVID unit in their hot zone with some, with knowing that everybody was COVID positive then just be in gen pop basically when, when everybody like in the beginning, especially, I mean, now, now it feels a little bit different, but in the beginning, you know, we were just like, someone would have a little bit of a cough and they go, Oh, got to rule them out for COVID. And you know, nobody was wearing, this is when we weren't wearing masks. This is when we were not wearing eye protection. This is when, you know, um, you just felt like you were just um, like a second away from an exposure. Like it Absolutely. was, and, yeah. and there were exposures happening yeah. and it was like, God damn it. What the fuck are we going to do to make ourselves <laughs> yeah. feel safe? Yeah. yeah. And that's what L and D was like too. You know, there, there was this sense that like, you're not in the ICU. These people aren't sick, but I'm like, we all know asymptomatic like spread is happening. And 
you know, and then there was like, I remember early on, maybe it was like April, 2020 or something like that. There, there was a, a study out of like some New York hospital had still swabbed all their labor patients. And they were like, something like 80% of the COVID positive labor patients were asymptomatic. And I was like, we're not masking here on our labor unit. Like this is bad. So yeah. 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 yeah I would have, I would have rather, yeah, I'd been on ICU where you're, everybody's wearing an N95 because you know, they've all got COVID, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Where, where I am, we have a few rooms that are airborne, ISO, and then, then we have like these hot zones and other units. So anyway, um, okay, let's talk about L and D. So you've, sorry, everybody out there, we just went around the world and back, but, um, <laughs> so labor and delivery, you found out you loved it. Um, what did, like, what did you love about it? What do you love about it? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to, for me, like being, I'm being feminist and I just like, people think I really love babies. Oh, you could hang out babies all day. I'm like, oh, for me, it's not about the babies. It's about the women. And you just get to be there for this moment in people's lives where they realize like what like badass warrior queens they are and that their bodies can do this thing that's incredible. And they think they can't do it. And they realize they can. And it's just amazing. Like it never gets old. I still get like misty at births and I, I just can't get over it. Um, and I think after, you know, a couple of years in med surge, I remember my, I remember my first day in L and D I was like, everyone's so happy. Like it's not the worst day of someone's life. You know, it's the, it's for most of the time, it's the best day of your patient's life or one of them. And, um, it's mostly, I mean, there are definitely ill patients for sure, but it's not an illness process. It's like, it's more like this opportunity for them to realize how amazing their body is. And it's a learning experience. Like for a lot of people, it's their, you know, first overnight stay in a hospital ever. So it's just this opportunity to really like, you know, be, give someone a positive experience in healthcare so that they trust us and have a good experience with their birth. Um, it's just such an opportunity, I think. Well, and you're with these patients for like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's really intimate, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and you spend a lot of time with them. You're coaching them. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that med surge never, I always felt like I was just like sprinting from one room to the next. Like, <laughs> you know, I wanted to make the connection and, you know, be more than just like throwing pills at my patients, you know, but I never had the time. Yeah. So the, can we talk a little bit actually about birth for a minute? Like, this is kind of fun. Um, so for most folks who come in, what do you see? Do you see more like, um, what do you call them, natural births or like, like what do you sort of see as a, as a nurse in terms of what people's births are like? It really, I think it really depends on where you work. Like I work like 30 minutes North of Seattle. And like, I mean, it's more of a, it's more conservative area. I don't think that's really, that leads to our, our COVID problem, but, um, but we have like a, a really a probably like 90, 95% epidural rate, which is totally fine. I'm like, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, so most of my patients get epidurals. Um, but then like, if you work in, oh, front, you're in Seattle too. So you, I can right. say, but if you, you know, nurses that go 
get an L&D job at Evergreen, it's a completely different patient population. And there's a lot of unmedicated deliveries and a lot of people that come with like really extensive birth plans, which is fine, you know, um, it's just different. Um, but I also, you know, I do labor and delivery. I do postpartum. I do antepartum. I work in triage and, you know, you're in the OR sometimes. So it's actually really, if you cross train to kind of all those different things, it's a different thing every day, which is pretty cool. That's so fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cause you probably, I'm sure you get like someone who comes into triage. You're like, Oh my, you know, when you're like, how dilated are you? And you're like, Whoa. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've had, I think I've only had two nurse deliveries in the States where you're like, Oh, it came out. The doctor wasn't here. Sorry. <laughs> like, really? So you, you've yeah. ca- delivered the baby, is it, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Sometimes it's just happening and I'm not going to tell someone like, hold it. Like, <laughs> hold it until the doctor gets here no i'm doing just that. trying to keep that watermelon coming, yeah. coming out yeah um i uh so really like you're you're doing all kinds of stuff so yeah. that's and obviously in some of it you're helping in, you know whatever induced or mm-hmm. and and is it like 95 like how, is it most of the time things go things go okay Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think people like to tell horror stories about their births. I've noticed this, especially to other pregnant people, like people, (laughs) mothers will go to around to other pregnant people and like tell them all the horrific things that happen to them. I'm like, you're not helping. (laughs) Like they don't need to know this. They don't need to hear this, but no, I mean, the vast majority of the time, labor and delivery is not an illness process. You know, people's bodies are built to do this. The vast majority of the time, everything is fine, but when it goes wrong, it, yeah, it can go very wrong very quickly. So there's a lot of like, you know, people say labor and delivery is like 99% boredom, 1% panic. <laughs> yeah. So when it, do, when it goes wrong, it does. And, and, you know, at least we get, you know, there is the sad side to labor and delivery. We get demises. We get, you know, very, I mean, very, very rarely do we lose a pregnant person in the u.s at this in this time um but it happens it's very rare but yeah yeah i i was thinking um how the body is so amazing like you're um when you're pregnant like and you're you know whatever it's time to give birth your uterus does all these amazing things it like knows to do organized contractions and yeah ooh, can we can we, I was like, going to be gross some people out, but actually it's not gross. Actually, <laughs> no, it's not I, don't gross. Think, I think it's, it's so cool. So cool. What actually happens? What happens in the birthing process? I know like the, the cervix shrinks and dilates and yeah. Yeah. So it's just, a. I mean, and every, every birth is different and some go really fast and some take days, but I mean, essentially your uterus is contracting and we're making, which is making your cervix um, dilate, which is like getting wider and wider and opening, um, and, uh, making the baby move down and yeah, thinning out your cervix as well. And then, and then pushing, and then you have a baby. It's it's so cool. I'm one of the, I'm always like, I always like bring the placenta over in a bucket. I'm like, do you want to see your placenta? Cause you grew this whole organ. Like it's now you're just done with it. It's so cool. Wow. When, um, Oh, this is something I always, I, I actually did an L and D practicum 
So I was, you know, whatever, yeah. three, three months, but yeah. short in compared, you know, obviously teeny tiny. Um, doesn't like the baby's like head turn and all this stuff. Like, like they yeah. are also yeah. know somehow like, this is so yeah. crazy. That's the whole, this is like bi- yeah. biology at work. Like how does a baby know to do that? Very cool. And you can like Google it. And there are, you know, like animations where you can like see through and see what the baby is doing, but they do their head, they turn as they're coming down. And like, I've even had, I've had moms that are pushing and they're at the point where you can like see the head and you can see the baby kind of like wiggling its head, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, it's pretty cool. They're trying to like find the best fit, you know, it's pretty cool. And then they go from then they go breathing air and then they just breathe air and then they breastfeed and it's, it's incredible. I mean, obviously newborns are very fragile in many ways, but they're also so resilient and tough. And like, they just went through this thing where they're like skull got squished and you know, like, <laughs> you're maybe kind of stressed out in there, you know, like these babies coming out, like, especially first babies come out with these like big cone heads. And I've had dads be like, um, what is, is this okay? What is wrong with my baby? I'm like, in 12 hours, it, you will have a round skull. It will be fine. Uh, you know, but it's pretty cool. They're, they're, you know, skull molds and they, you know, it's, it's incredible, you know, but you know, since humans have existed, we've been doing this. So yeah, mm. your body really is meant to do it for sure. What is uh, difficult about L and D? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think definitely there's the sad side, like the the fetal demises that I've had, like I remember them all. Um, although I think that's really an incredible opportunity as well. I mean, this is just my father um, managed a cemetery for like my whole childhood. So I'm like, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a, a really important opportunity to like be with someone in this moment of like grief. And, and just like, I want to, to get through the birth process when everything is normal and happy in a way that, you know, honors how they want this experience to be. I'm like this, you know, when things aren't turning out the way you want them to, it's also an opportunity to like make it as not awful as it can be. Um, so there's, there's that, you know, things go wrong and, and, Sometimes we don't know why, and that's that's awful and sad. Um, I think also, and this is probably true in any area of nursing, like just even before COVID, misinformation and like just this mindset that maybe this is more in labor and delivery than in other areas. That this mindset some folks come in with that like it's the patient versus the medical team, and that we're trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do, you know. And I, I'm like that was bad before COVID and now it's just cranked up to 11, you know? Um, right. Oh God. I totally forgot about this. That's like the, um, I don't know. Is that like the, Oh my God, they want to pit me or they want to yeah. put an IV in me or they want to yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, which there's some truth to, and then definitely depending on where you are delivering, especially in the United States, Absolutely. There, you know, there are providers who are going to push for a C-section when you don't need one because they're bored or they want to go home. You know, there's just a wide, there's a whole wide variety of issues there. Um, But I don't know. I'm I'm like, I'm as pretty as granola as you can get as a nurse in a hospital. I'm like, I want you to have the birth experience you want to have. 
but I also want you and your baby to like be alive at the end of it. So like, I'm not yeah. here to make you do anything you don't want to do. I just, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen it in whatever, in regular hospital setting where y- y- you're like, something actually might be physio- physiologically happening to either the baby or the patient or for, for me, I mean, well, I've been seeing a lot more pregnant people lately, which yeah. we can talk about, yeah. but, um, this notion of, oh, I don't want to have this done or this done or this level of distrust, but you know, at some point you're like, well, we want to, you know, we want you, we want you to live. I mean, you're not yeah. probably in that scenario very often, but babies, what they decelerate during contractions uh, and you yeah, maybe. That. yeah, we definitely have situations where, and it's it's not common, but you someone comes in with a very specific birth plan. They're very committed to like delivering unmedicated or delivering vaginally, which is great. I want you to have a plan and have the birth you want. I'm there for it. But if you have a situation, yeah, where you're having like a prolonged decel and you're like, I'm watching your baby like die. Like if this goes on long enough, you know, yeah. like we, we gotta go, you know, and I'm not, you, obviously we can't, you know, you can't oh. cesarean section against their will, you know, but wait, um, just for the folks out there, deceleration means yeah. what? So we, most of the time in this United States, we have um, pregnant folks on a fetal monitor during labor. Um, you know, some need more monitoring, some need less, but you know, when we have them on the monitor and we can see that the baby's heart rate is at a, you know, acceptable level and then it drops. So they're supposed to be between 110 and 160 beats per minute. And then you can watch it on the monitor or you, I'm mostly in a room and you can hear it. And I, I like, we have, this is a, a segue, but my husband got us this like sound machine to sleep with. And one of the sound options is like a heartbeat, but it's an adult heart rate. And it, it stresses me because it's like in the eighties. And I'm like, I can't listen to that. I can't listen to that. Like it sounds like a deceleration. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I'm like, turn it off. Um, so yeah, you can, in the room, you can hear it. like boop, 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 boop. And you're like, ah! <laughs> so, you know, babies decel and that's, fine most of the time they come back up they've you know, like grabbed their umbilical cord they've rolled on their umbilical cord or something they probably do it all the time when they're not on the monitor and we would never know and it's fine but for various reasons you can have a serious one you know and they just never come back up um and that's not sustainable with a healthy baby um yeah so we've had that we've had like i mean i've i we have uh we've had a patient that we knew had a placenta previa and so she was like in our interpartum unit for an extended period of time and she would, but she really didn't want a C-section. And so she would bleed and we would rush her to the OR and she would be like, no, 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 I don't want this. And then she'd like, stop bleeding. We'd be like, okay, we'll hold off for a little while. And we'd play that game back and forth and back and forth until finally we were like, you're hemorrhaging, like you're dying, you know? Right. You yeah. only have so much blood in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. but I see, but I, I want to also like recognize that there are reasons that that pregnant folks mistrust healthcare providers. That's legitimate, especially women of color. Like there are reasons for that. Um, So I don't want to discount that either. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, I'm like, I know my heart. I don't, I don't want to hurt you. I'm on your side, you know, like. Yeah. Right. Nope. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And like you said, you, you want people to have their, their, 
what they want to have happen. If they want a vaginal delivery, well, they want to let that happen. And it's just, it's tough because we're in this place of, well, I mean, I don't know if it's tough, but you know, safety first, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. I mean, I've had patients literally where I'm like, why did you come to the hospital? If you like, you don't, you don't want any kind of, any kind of intervention in your labor, which you know, we don't want to intervene unless we need to, obviously. But then when baby's born, you know, don't want vitamin K. They don't want the, they don't want uh, any vaccines. They don't, I've had patients who like, they wouldn't let us, we screen, you know, we do all these just like newborn screenings. They won't let us screen the baby for hearing. I'm like, what do you think we're just screening? It's a hearing test. Like, what do you think we're, they want nothing, nothing done. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I'm just like, it's like, well, it's like the COVID patients now, right? They don't want any kind of preventive care. They don't want us to say, we see something happening. We could prevent it. They only want help if they want to be in the hospital. If something terrible goes wrong, they know enough that that's where they want to be to deliver just in case, but they don't want us to do anything to prevent anything bad from happening. Mm, like, uh, yeah. I like, like the, <laughs> the yeah. parallel there. Yeah. Um, gosh, how much, this is a totally, total aside. How many women are giving birth to, um, babies outside the hospital? Yeah. Do you know, you know, do you know like, much about that? Definitely people do. Yeah. Um, which like, in my opinion is if that's what you want and you are a low risk pregnancy, go to town, you know, as long as you understand the risks, like, you know, I'll be fine. If you, or if it in the risk category of like delivering out of hospital. Um, but yeah, I don't know about numbers, but we definitely get patients that, um, you know, had planned a home birth and then it didn't go well or something went wrong. And then they transferred to the hospital. And like, I mean, it, I'm thinking of, I remember we had a patient come to triage because she was had planned a home birth with a midwife, but then her water broke like just shy of 37 weeks. And that was the cutoff for the midwife to do a home birth. So she's like, you have to go to the hospital. And when she got to the hospital, we, did an ultrasound just to make sure the baby was head down and she was having twins. <laughs> we were like, you're a midwife. If you're going to be a home birth midwife and you're not going to do any ultrasounds, you better be really good at measuring and feeling with your hands. So you know how many babies are in there. <laughs> like that's so unsafe. <laughs> oh my God. So, and there's a huge variety in like what a home birth midwife is. You can have someone who's like a lay midwife who just has very little real training all the way up to like really certified midwives. So you really need to understand what you're getting when you have a home birth midwife. Wow. I'm yeah. still floored from what you just, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I cannot believe that. Um, but I can. Yeah. Wow. But that's what I mean. Some folks are like, I don't want any ultrasounds. I'm like, okay, well then you've got to be aware that we don't know what's going on in there. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. Get it. I mean, you need to get a stethoscope and I don't know, at least listen. Find but, yeah. It's, uh, you should be able, I mean, I also, I mean, I don't know, a home birth midwife should be able to look at someone and be like, you're 36 weeks and this is, there's more than one baby in there, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you, um, have you had like, connections with patients and they, I know we're not really supposed to have connections with patients and whatever, like, yeah. I mean, I have a few connections with patients out, you know, from work, yeah. not very many, but, yeah. um, do you ever, do you ever connect with folks that you've stayed in contact with who've like delivered their kids and yeah, yeah I had, I had, I had a, I had a woman who I had her for her first 
and we had a really good time together and really hit it off. And like, I remember her, I think she texted or called me when her water broke with her second. And I was like, I'm driving into work, <laughs> like perfect timing. So then I got to be there for a second too. That was fun. Um, oh, that's so fun. Yeah. yeah. It's fun when people, when you now I've been there long enough that people are coming back and you know, you, you had them for their first or whatever. And um, I honestly like the one that comes to mind most is I had a patient that had a demise, like at full term. Um, and um, I picked up, I had her the day she got there and then I picked up an extra day or two because I bonded with her and didn't I don't know I just didn't want her to have to start all over with someone new it was such a difficult experience and um I don't know it just it's it's an honor to be there for someone in that moment in their lives and try to help them get through it I think um so I'm really hoping that I get to be there for her when she comes back and has has one and it goes goes well (laughs) oh that's my hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so I'm like stalking her Facebook. Like, <laughs> right. You're like, when are you pregnant? Are you yeah. pregnant? Are you <laughs> Let's pregnant? do it. <laughs> um, so I did sound like though that, um, it can be like full of a lot of joy, like mm-hmm. your, your work that you do, like seeing, seeing birth happen every day, like, that's a mir- miracle. Yeah. Like yeah. just that whole process. And do you feel, I know you said you still get misty when, you know, new babies are born, but like, does that like fill your cup and like oh, allow you to definitely. do what you do? Definitely. I can't remember how I started saying this phrase or where I got it, but I started talking about like a cleansing birth, like a, just one that goes, not even that it doesn't matter if it's a C-section or if it's vaginal or if they have an epidural or not, just one that goes really well. And it's a really sweet couple. And, you know, like, I love it when the dad cries. That's my favorite. <laughs> like, oh. Sometimes I'll just be having a really shit time at work and my husband will be like, you need a cleansing birth. You need one that just goes really well and it's really nice. And you know, everyone's just so excited that the baby's there. Like, I love it when they don't know the gender and someone, you know, they get to, they're so excited about it either way. It's just fun, you know? Oh my gosh. That's so fun. Yeah. I can feel my heart like kind of, you know, I don't know, like swell, I guess. Like yeah, absolutely. feeling of like, that's really nice and that's beautiful and it doesn't happen every day. I yeah. mean, for you, you see it a lot, but, um, well, and I see you, it must be like seeing someone go home. They finally got better, you know, it's like, yeah, we did it, you know, oh my gosh, there was, I'm trying not to cry. There was this, um, guy who, well, like, should I say it? I know. Well, like, he, I say? he had malaria and he, and he, and he got better. Um, and anyway, he, um, I transferred him out of the ICU. I wasn't even like his nurse, his primary nurse, but I was just like helping out and doing a bunch of stuff for him. And uh, a young guy and he's with his mom and I transfer him out to the floor. And then he just like takes my hand and just says how grateful, how thankful he is for me and for everybody. And that, that it, you know, God bless me and my family may look go shine upon me, you know, like this, like oh. really nice, nice 
um, thing. He was crying and he was just like, I just can't thank everybody enough. And it was like that. I needed that. Yeah. <laughs> I needed that, yeah. you know? Especially like, lately, it's rare. Like, I think we went through that couple months at the beginning of the pandemic where everyone was like, thank you, thank you. And now everyone, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're... No. Yeah. I think, I mean, in general, I think people are still, I mean, like regular people, obviously, living life and during the pandemic after 18 months are like not doing well. Some people, right? And it's a stressful time. And and so um, we see that. I'm sure you see that with like expression of anger and um, inappropriate behavior. Yeah. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's tired. Uh, Okay. Oh my God. This is not a fun topic, but um, what has been going on with COVID and L&D world? Yeah. Um, Delta has been very bad. Delta and the combination of everything just opening back up, you know, who knows what's, you know, it's both, but just like in the last week, we've had three COVID positive patients have fetal demises. Like, so obviously this is not a randomized randomized control trial, trial. but, but we don't, that doesn't happen a lot. You don't get like term or close to term demises, like three in a week, like that, you know, and they all have COVID. I don't know. Um, yeah. On top of like just people, you know, we're swabbing everyone now. So (laughs) it's like, I had a, uh, I had a, postpartum patient this week who had COVID and was asymptomatic and you know it's, it's either like it's awful and it's horror stories and people are you know I, ending up in the ICU or losing their babies and that's awful or like <laughs> for me I had this postpartum patient who was asymptomatic and she just like didn't care like when, every time I came into her room I'm like can you please put your mask on just please just for me and also for your baby who you're like breathing on just like please you know ugh. People, I, yeah, people are just over it and I get that, but I'm like, I don't want to take this home to my family, you know? Um, so yeah. And the misinformation is, is, is rampant. It's wild. And especially working at Everett, few of our patients, few of our pregnant patients are vaccinated. A lot of people are like, I'm waiting until I'm not pregnant anymore. I think this idea that they think they're protecting their baby by not being vaccinated. I'm like, it's the opposite. It is the opposite. You are putting yourself and therefore your baby at risk by, by not getting vaccinated. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. Where do you think the misinformation came from? You might know this as a science communicator because yeah. Where do you, where do you think it came from? Social media. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what? a, it's a, shit show. <laughs> was it, I mean, was there one person that was like, don't get the vaccine because it will, I mean, there was one person who said something about the, the mRNA will like change your DNA. Yeah. 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 Pick your, pick your conspiracy theory. I mean, I think there have been, there's been like some research that's shown that there are like seven big influencers that are putting out the vast majority of the vaccine and COVID misinformation. Um, so it is all filtering down from a few people who are, I mean, people are making 
money off this. That's why they're doing it. Everyone's selling a supplement or a book or a membership or speaking tours or, you know, whatever. Um, but then it filters, I think it filters down into um, folks who aren't making a profit. They, they genuinely believe this stuff. And a lot of it, I think, is well-intentioned. Like a lot of the anti-vax stuff comes from folks who have lost a baby or had a child that now has autism or some sort of some some sort of medical problem or people who've had a terrible um, experience in healthcare not been treated well or you know been misdiagnosed or something felt unheard um, which all of that stuff happens because bad shit happens you know um, so then they people want an explanation for it people want an explanation why does my child have autism why does my child have seizures? Why did, you know, because sometimes just bad stuff happens in the world. And, but when someone who sounds legitimate gives you a, a legitimate sounding explanation and you can blame all of your woes on vaccines, then it becomes gospel. And of course these people want to tell other people, they want to tell other moms, you know, don't risk your children. This vaccine did this thing to my child. So then it just takes off, you know? I think some, yeah, it's well-intentioned. People want to protect their children, but it's just, it's just misinformed. Yeah. And unfortunately what, I mean, I think about the people that were in your facility. Mm -hmm. um, now what's going through their friend circles is like, oh shit. Those these people lost their baby, you know, yeah. like yeah. Um, we, um, yeah, we just ha also had someone with fetal demise and yeah. we, um, have seen far too many pregnant. We like rarely would see a pregnant person right. maybe like once right. a month right. in our ICU. There's always somebody pregnant in our yeah. ICU now. And there's yeah. always, it feels like there's always a COVID positive pregnant person who isn't doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's serious for pregnant people. It really is. And I don't know what it is, Emily, about that. Like if it's the, the decrease, like lung capacity, mm -hmm. if it's, um, the inflammatory system that's response is happening or yeah. if it's like the, I, I don't know what it is. I should probably research that. Probably a combination of things. But, um, it certainly doesn't, it, what I, it seems anecdotally is pregnancy in when COVID is a bad combination. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to tell my patients that I see. I pick up shifts sometimes in our maternal fetal medicine clinic where people just come in for testing in high-risk pregnancies. And so I yeah. see you know, 20 patients in a day. I always ask them to be vaccinated. And the ones that aren't, I'm like, please, please, if if you really feel strongly against getting this in pregnancy, I really hope you're quarantining, please. Yeah, like it's just, please don't get COVID while you're pregnant. It's not good. Yeah. Well, the, the, what is it? The society of obstetrics and gynecology, they endorse yeah. the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all of our, all of the organizations that like govern obstetric care in the U S are like, are encouraging, recommending vaccination. Absolutely. I think that's a confusing point too, is that folks like the general public doesn't kind of grasp that um, science, it changes constantly. And so when these vaccines first came out in like December and January, 
a lot of OBs were saying, we don't know, we don't know, we don't have data on pregnant folks. So I don't know, like based on everything we can theorize and everything we know about these vaccines, you know, there's no theoretical mechanism that they would cause any harm to you or your baby, you know, but it is your choice, you know. Um, Now, now that's changed. Now we have ample evidence that these are safe for pregnant people, safe for your babies. We have the studies, we have the data because it's been many months. Um, But I think people don't grasp that that's changed. So I still hear patients saying like, oh, my OB told me they didn't know yet. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they said that in January and now it's September and now we know, (laughs) like you can get it. Yeah. And I think people think that's where a lot of the misinformation stuff comes to. People think that when things change, that they're being lied to and not just like, you know, hey, we have more information than we did a couple months ago. So this is just better information. That's not you being lied to before. Yeah. Oh, oh. what, what is um, giving you lots of light these days? Is there anything that you go to cling to that provides joy for you? Like, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's a tough one. <laughs> I, I'm really trying to be better about setting boundaries on social media um, and just be okay with like, I have done what I can do and I've changed the minds I can change. And I can't just keep banging my head against this wall. I think it, or all, mostly if people haven't gotten vaccinated by now, I'm not going to change your mind, you know, or if, if I am, it's going to take, like, I can think of a person that I had a DM conversation with when she finally decided to get vaccinated. I scrolled back. I was like, how long have I been talking to this person? It was six months. I was like, I don't have the time to do this with 50,000 people. Like I can't do it. Um, But you know, people need that individualized attention to have every single thing debunked one-on-one. It's exhausting. It it works if you can, can take the time, but this is why people need to be doing it one-on-one with their family members. Cause it's just, it's, it's a long conversation over many weeks, months. Anyway. Um, but what's, so that's, that's not giving me light, but setting the boundaries is, and like not reading my DMS and just kind of, just trying trying to back off it a bit um, and like getting outside and, you know, my husband and I camp and hike a lot and yeah, getting outside into nature and taking some time off of all of this is really, really helping. Can you tell me what is the name of your Jeep? Oh, Dusty. <laughs> yeah. It's because you, yes. you do a lot of um, like outdoor camping in your Jeep, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were into this before COVID, but then when COVID hit, we were like, this was perfect. We have a rooftop tent on our Jeep. And my husband is like really into like, you know, building out the car that we can like live in it basically. Um, so he's done, you know, lifted it and has all done all this stuff to it. We've got running water, we've got a tap in the back. Like it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice. Um, so yeah, he, and he's a teacher, so he has a summer off. So I also took most of the summer off because I was per diem and I was just hitting, like, but I remember my last shift, I was talking to someone about getting the vaccine and she was like, uh, she said something about like, the, you know, I take care of myself, so I don't need to get the vaccine. I'm like, you're healthy. You don't need to get it. And I just kind of snapped. I was like, well, I wonder what happened to those 600,000 Americans that died of it then. And I was like, oh, you need to like take a break. This is not helping this person decide to get vaccinated. Like, I was like, yeah. So I was just, I was just over it and, and over it. Like, you know, I have anti-vax nurses that I work with that I just am like, I need a, I need a break, I need a break from this. So 
yeah, we went out in the Jeep and like, drove around the whole Western US for a month and camped off the grid and it's incredible. Yeah. And that's what you're going to be doing with people. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've had tons of people say, I mean, this is the funny, this is why our, our Instagram is two dusty travelers because it was my travel account before COVID happened and we just started talking about it. And now people are here for COVID and not for anything I have to say about travel. But um we we're like, yeah. hey guys, let's get back to like my my original programming. I want to travel. I love well, travel. Said in June when we took off for our road trip, I was like, FYI, I'm not gonna talk about COVID. Cases were looking good. I was like, I think maybe we're winding down. And then now I'm like, now all I talk about again is COVID. But um but yeah, we originally started the account to like talk about ethical and sustainable travel and, and, and volunteering abroad in ways that don't like <laughs> do more harm than good. Um, but yeah, people were really interested in the way that we like do, we go camping and overlanding is tra- overland travel is what we call it. Um, so yeah, we're doing, we're doing our first like overlanding 101 trip at the end of September. We're taking some folks out and just camping them, camping with them and showing how we find our, cause we don't camp at like public campsites. We just camp. You can camp anywhere in the U S that's public land. Basically it's like a uh, Bureau of land management land or a national forest is like, you can just camp there. If you have water and have what you need, you can just, and you can find the most incredible campsites that no one else is around. And it's awesome. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I will never be at, like when we're at a public campsite and other people are around, I'm like, what? You're in my space. <laughs> right. Give me my six acres. Um, yeah, I need the mountain view and like, I want it all to myself. We were like, we drove up to the, we we're at the Grand Canyon this summer. It was the first time either of us ever been to the Grand Canyon, which was embarrassing. And we like heard about this backcountry campsite and they were like, oh, it's booked. And we we're like, okay, no problem. And this very nice ranger was just like, oh, but there's this other site. It's like, wasn't in the guidebook, wasn't in anywhere on any map. And she like gave us a pass for it. And we drove off road two hours out, out, which took us forever. It was literally on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I was weeping. It's <laughs> like no one else there. We're right on the edge of the Canyon. I was like, I cannot believe this is just our spot. They were just sleeping here. Like it was incredible. But those places are out there if you like are willing to work to find them and willing to like have a vehicle to be able to like be completely self-sufficient. Um, so we were like, yeah, we start running some trips to like show people how to do it. That's so cool. And so people out there, listeners, you should go <laughs> follow Emily at two dress two dusty travelers.com. She's got some great information there um and about how to sign up for trips. And I think there are even like scholarships available for yeah. LG LGBTQTI. Oh, God damn it. I sound like such an asshole. I'm going <laughs> to cut, cut this out. I'll say this right. LGBTQIA+. Yeah. 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 And and uh, BIPOC communities. Yeah, because we're super aware that overlanding travel, like people people with four by fours, let's be honest, people with Jeeps and, and Land Rovers and stuff like are overwhelmingly white men. So there aren't a lot of folks out there um, yeah, doing this, um, being inclusive of like LGBTQIA communities and BIPOC. And so we have, yeah, we've had a couple of very nice followers of ours offered. They're like, can we pay for some folks in those communities to like go on a trip? I'm like, yeah, totally. So we have some sponsorships for that. That's so fun. So, and then you can follow Emily at um, Two Dusty Travelers on Instagram for traveling info, also for COVID misinformation. Yeah. Although everybody out there, actually you post COVID information, you, yeah. you combat misinformation. So you do post like current relevant stuff. So if you want to find out what's going on, you should definitely yeah. follow 
Emily, but everybody out there who listens to this podcast believes in science. So yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Yeah. God. They yeah. wouldn't be here if they didn't. It's the anti-vax nurses that get me down the most. I'm like, y'all are killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> if you don't, if you have no science background and you're a lay person and you've been, you know, gone down a rabbit hole of misinformation, I get it. If you're a nurse, like why? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's like knife through the heart yeah i don't understand it i really don't understand it i don't know how you go through all take all your nursing prerequisites how you have to submit your previous history of vaccinations like make this make sense for me people make it make sense yeah it never will no Oh my gosh, we've been all over the place. Yeah. Emily, I hope to have you back on the show to talk um, about Ebola. We'll just dedicate yeah. an entire episode of that. It'd be so fun. Love to. Um, any last closing thoughts for the show? Um, just thank you to all the nurses out there that are listening. I know everybody's just tired. Um, I appreciate you. <laughs> Please take care of yourselves first, you know? I don't know. They need us. They need us at the bedside. So take care of yourself. Yeah. Great advice. And if you have to step away, please do it. You know, yeah. You said something. Oxygen mask on. This is what they used to tell us on Ebola. They're like, put your own oxygen mask on first. You are not available to help anyone else if you are not healthy and safe and, you know, doing well yourself. You said it in the beginning of this episode that there are so many options and choices. If you're not satisfied, move on. Yeah step away. Yeah. So I think, I think I will stay at the bedside, but this last like six weeks was the first time I was like, maybe I'll just like look at some jobs that aren't at the bedside. I think I just needed to know the options were out there. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, I'm going to be away like traveling for the next two weeks. So I'll get my, my break, but, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, we got to take care of ourselves. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, what a fun conversation. And yes, I know we were all over the place and, um, but I loved it. I hope you guys did too. And I'm going to close this one out by saying what I always do, which is stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. That was so awesome. That was great. I know it was like, Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.